Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are glad to be here. We thank you for Sunday mornings, God. We thank you that summer break is here for many of us, and we thank you that we are into June as 2018 seems to be flying by. And yet with all of that, God, we are glad that it is a Sunday morning, and you have so positioned our lives that we could be here. Father, thank you for that. In being here, Father, we desire that we would worship you and that we would look to you more. But, Father, we also pray that we would hear from your word, that we would look to you and see what you're saying and that your word would be like a lamp to us, that it would be like food to our soul, and that we would grow in you. So, Father, we dependent upon you, we needy, we look to you now and ask for your help. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the black Bible there in front of you, and it will be page 501. Psalm 31. As you heard me pray, we are now into June, and it does seem like time is flying by, and with that, we have come through graduation season, as I've been to a preschool graduation, I've been to a high school graduation, I've been to graduation parties, there are a lot going on this time of year, and as you know, Thursday was the last day of school for for JCPS, and so we are now officially into summer break, and in so many ways, I feel like we just fell across the finish line. I remember when I used to be forced to run cross-country and never really was that good at it, and I remember starting off so fast, and man, they'd shoot off the gun, and we would take off, and by the time we got to the end, we were hating it, and we were barely walking, and we were limping, and we were falling across the finish line. Literally, we would be like, just finish, just get done. I'm ready for this to be over with, and so often, life or the school year gets like that. So here we are at June, and it feels like, man, I'm ready for a reset. I'm looking forward to things like vacation Bible school and summer camp. I'm looking forward to uh, our mission trip to Ecuador. I'm looking forward to uh, downtime with my children. I'm looking forward to the difference in uh, uh, schedule or, or events that summer brings. And you know what? That's a little bit of a microcosm of what life is like. Life is also that way. There are seasons in your life where you think, man, things are going really well, and then there are times where you're like, I just can't take it anymore. There's times where you are just always tired, and there's times where you are refreshed. And we could go on and on with how this is the case. And I like the Word of God because it paints that picture. For some reason, churches or Christians or religious people have somehow, some way, given off the, the persona or the, or the image that God or, or life or the religious life is to be uh, uppity or, or pretty or something like that, and that's just not true. And when you read the Bible to see what the Bible's actually like or what God is actually saying to us, it's, it's not that way either. The Bible describes life being hard and full of ups and downs and and emotional. 
Over the last couple weeks, I found myself drawn to the book of Proverbs and to the book of the Psalms, Psalms and Proverbs, those two wisdom books there in the middle. And I've just been thinking, God, I, I, I want you to show me something. I just want to read and, and see what you're saying. And uh, God, help my heart and, and give me wisdom and give me understanding. Make me a better man and help me, God, help me. And I landed on Psalm 31 because... David in Psalm 31 sounds like me a lot. It's a long one, 24 verses, fits on one page. But in Psalm 31, David is saying a lot. He is feeling a lot. You might would say that David's all over the place. There's some times where he's saying how much he loves God. There's some times where he's worshiping God because God is, his perspective on God is right. There are other times where he's saying, God, I don't know what's going on. God, I'm a mess. God, I need you. And it's all wrapped up into one. It's not like, hey, you read this book of the Bible and it's that way, and you read this book. No, this is all wrapped up in one right here. But then at the end, he seems to find himself. Then at the end, he seems to gather himself, or he seems to be knowing that great song that we just sang, It Is Well. There's all types of good music, Joe, and Joe, you do a great job with all different levels of music, but I speak for all of us. I'm not even going to ask your opinion. I speak for all of us. When everything slows down a little bit and all the voices raise up a little bit and it's all of us singing out loud, it is well with my soul, that takes the cake. That's the best. When I can hear all of you saying, it is well with my soul, God loves me. I can rest in that. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate. Is there any better song lyric that's ever been written? That Christ has regarded my helpless estate. If you're here today and you feel like life has swirled and you've been up and down, would you dare admit that you're helpless? And then would you believe that Christ loves you right there? And he died for that helpless position, that helpless person, and that Christ loves to lift up those who are helpless. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message of God. It is the good news that Christ has regarded our helpless estate. And believing that, not me, not me getting better at things, but believing that truth makes my heart, my soul, my insides, makes it say it is well. And Psalm 31 seems to cover all of that. Read with me. We're going to read it all, but I'm going to focus in on the very end. In you, O oh Lord, do I take refuge. Charles Spurgeon says, Nowhere else do I fly for shelter. Let the tempest howl as it may. This psalmist has one refuge, and that refuge is the best one. That's good. In you, O oh Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Notice here, the psalmist is not saying, God, I'm so worthy or so deserving or I'm so righteous 
that would you deliver me? Notice that the psalmist never says, I deserve this. If you'll open up your ears, you'll notice those trying to influence you. You'll notice those in your life constantly thinking that their life should get better because they deserve for it to get better. The, God, the word of God does not speak that way. But the word of God does understand that it is well with my soul because God being so good, God will deliver you not because you deserve it, but because God is just good like that. God will take care of you, not because you deserve to be taken care of, but because God just is good at taking care of people. He loves people, and he knows this here. He says, in your righteousness, deliver me, God. God, get me out of this situation that I'm in for your sake, not for mine, but for your sake. Verse 2, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. So he's asked for that. And now in verse 3, he starts declaring that. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Already, already, three times the word refuge. Three verses, three times the word refuge. Y'all, life will get you there. Life will get you using big words like, save me, help me, I need help. And this is where he's at. Verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You've heard that before, right? That's what Jesus said on the cross, quoting Psalm 31. That's awesome. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. Notice now he starts to open up and be a little more honest. God, I'm in distress. My eyes wasted from grief. You ever seen somebody and you can just see it in their eyes that they've been crying a lot? You ever seen somebody and just tell in their face that it's been, been a rough season? Say what David sounds like now, but, but the beginning sounded so good, didn't it? See, here's what happens in Christianity. We'll, we'll put verses like verse 1 hanging on the wall of our house, right? People get verse 1 tattooed on them. In you, O oh Lord, do I take refuge. Man, that sounds so good. I'm going to get it right here on my arm so everybody sees it so I see it. People do stuff like that, but nobody puts verse 9 on themselves. My eyes wasted from grief, my soul, and my body also. Look at verse 10. For my life is spent with sorrow. In my years with sighing. When I get frustrated at home sometimes, I'll walk away and I'll go, <sighs> and then Val will remind me that I'm not very encouraging or something like that. And I'll say, I didn't even say anything. I didn't even say anything. You, you, you're saying I said I didn't even do anything. She'll say, you didn't have to say anything. That sigh 
tells us all we need to know about what you're thinking or feeling. David says, notice, years, years of that. I hear of people that give up on God because one week was filled with sighing. One month or one season, David says, I've been through years of sighing. Years of exasperation. Years of frustration. My strength fails because of my iniquity. He's finally admitting here. See, it sounded like at the beginning of this psalm that his problem was other people. David's kind of talked his way into now it's partly his problem. My bones waste away. Verse 11, because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors. An object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. As they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. David's trying to preach to himself, but as you can see, the worry of these things is heavier often than the preaching to ourselves. And we can relate to that. All of us have been caught up in some worry, some anxiety, some, some trouble, some burden. We've been there. We've been distressed. And we try to remind ourselves, we try to give ourselves a pep talk, but our pep talks aren't as strong as our worry. David's right there. Verse 15, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O oh Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. David like many people, is feeling a lot of things. David, at times, feels very close to God and is, is reminding himself with a bold declaration that in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. He says, you are my rock. You are my res refuge. You lead me. You guide me. He says, it seems to be this great picture of a Christian life, of following God, of a devoted life to God. And yet, as you know from your own experiences, even when you feel like you know who God is and you are committed to them, it doesn't take long at all for life to have you feeling like, well, it doesn't feel very good. There are times when I'm up and down. I have so many wandering thoughts. There are so many 
hardships. Life in the sinful world often has friction. It does. We all know that. So are there answers? Are there conclusions? Does the Bible speak to that? Or do we just come here every week hoping that there's enough pat on the back to get us through the friction for another week to come back for another pat on the back? That's not the answer. But David, through these 22 verses, has got us feeling a lot of different things. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to pump myself up on some good promises of God. And it didn't help. I was still nervous and worried. I can't tell you how many times that, that I've felt like not just my eye, but my soul and my body. You ever not done anything that should have made you physically tired, but you're physically tired because you've been worrying so much? Yes. You ever been mentally tired, and next thing you know, you're physically tired, and you're thinking, how does that even happen? You ever known that you shouldn't be tired, but you're exhausted? Yes. David feels this. He goes from his eye to his soul to his body, burdened, bothered. But like all of those that know God, who hope in him, who believe God, David knows that wherever I found myself, I know what to come back to. And Psalm 31 ends this way. Look at the last two verses, and this is where we will stay. Love the Lord, all you his saints. David takes us to the very central heart of the matter. If you have forgotten that the whole essence of life, the whole essence of creation, the whole essence of everything God has made is that it would love God. Then here today, thank God that you're here. You need to be reminded of that. You are to love God. God made you that you would love him. God has you who you are and where you are and what you are that you would love him. God has your heart working today. And let me remind you, there are some people's hearts that stopped working today. But yours still works today that you would love him. This is what it's all about. We see this through and through and through and through. That the call of God is that we would love God. Do you love God? Is your life centered on that? Do you remember that? Have you forgotten that? Would you do well, just like all of our young kids are, how they're having to reset, me and Val are trying to figure out, okay, what are their days going to look like now because they can't just sleep in and watch TV and play video games all day long. They, we need to have something in place for them to reset, right? Do, does your life need that reset today that we would see from Psalm 31 that despite all of the things that he's feeling, he reminds himself, love the Lord. Do you remember when God made the people? That God was taking care of them and He was their God and 
He was going to make sure everything was provided for. That when God made people, they didn't need anything. That's a fascinating study. The people of God needed nothing. And it wasn't until they started saying, well, God, we're not going to do what you want us to do. We're going to do what we want to do, that they went away from God. They distanced themselves from God. They started disobeying God. They divided themselves from God, that then they began to have want. They began to be in need. They began to feel sorrow. They went that way. And even then, as they started to distance themselves from God, God is the one that comes back to them. God is the one that starts pursuing them. God is the one who starts making covenant with them and starts saying, I will take care of you. I will never leave you. I will be with you. I will provide for you. I will watch over you. These are God's promises. And in the midst of all that God does for them, right, he leads them and he feeds them and he clothes them and he takes care of them. And all that God is doing for them God asks back that because of his great love for us, his great love for them, that we would love him back. This really, y'all, is the whole essence of creation. Why did God create? That his creation would love him back. That his creation would worship him back. That his creation would glory in him. That's why he made you. We are to love God. Once God gets going, he gives the Ten Commandments. And you will remember very clearly that the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. There should be nothing else that gets more allegiance. There should be nothing else that gets more devotion, more focus, more discipline, more obedience, more affection, more heart. Nothing, nothing Nothing else should get more of you than God. Nothing comes before him. To say that more clearly, you are to love him. Do you remember? That's the Ten Commandments. Do you remember when this question comes up to Jesus in the New, in the New Testament with Matthew chapter 27, and they think, they've got him, uh, uh, they think they've got him trapped, and so they say, okay, there are Ten Commandments. They're all really good. Okay, Jesus, which one's the best? Do you remember that? There are a lot of commands, but Jesus, which one is the greatest of those? And Jesus reaches outside of, of Exodus 20 and the giving of the Ten Commandments, and Jesus reaches over into Deuteronomy 6 because, miraculously, Jesus has every word of God memorized. And Jesus says, well, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your body. Jesus takes the commandments, which are, you shall have no other gods before me, and all the other ones, and wraps them up together and ties it and puts a greatest on it. And the most important of all, the top of them all, that summarizes all of them, is that you are to love God. Any life, any person, any man or woman, any churchgoer, any First Baptist Fairdale church attender that does not love God is missing the point of life, is misunderstanding how much God loves them, is misunderstanding why God has given you health today. We are to love him. John, in writing 1 John chapter 2, says, Do not love the world. Or do not love the things in the world, which all of us struggle with, and that would be sin. But do not love the world, or do not love the things in the world. And then he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of God the Father is not in him. 1 John 2.15 
Because to love anything on the level that we are to love God is to not love God. There, I know we all say that we love God, but God says loving God lesser than we love other things is not loving God. And so we come back to this awesome, awesome, awesome conclusion in Psalm 31 where David says, in the midst of 22 verses of being up or down and all over the place, David says, love the Lord, faithful ones. Love the Lord, you saints. Love God. Recalibrate. It's summer break. Let's get focused on what we are supposed to be loving God. Paul ends the letter to the Corinthians, the first one, by saying this, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. That person is wrong, wrong, way wrong, so wrong, for they do not love God. That's the purpose, is to love God. Jesus, as we read in our other passage earlier today, in John chapter 14, Jesus says very plainly, and there is no wiggling around it, if you love me, you will obey me. Jesus teaches that where our lives are going and what we gravitate toward and what we give our affections and disciplines and purposes and emotions to is that which we love. And so Jesus says, make sure you love him and watch your life move toward him. Or perhaps you need to be reminded of the letters that we have Jesus writing to the churches in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, to the church in Ephesus, he says, Church, chapter 2, verse 4, but this I have against you, church. You have abandoned your first love. You used to love me, but you don't love me anymore. The problem there and the problem with so often many of us and the problem with people is that we know that we are to love God, but we often don't love God. And Psalm 31 just says very clearly in a concluding verses, love the Lord, all you his saints. Oh, that we would love God. And then in this second half of verse 23... The psalmist here, David, reminds us, if you didn't quite believe it yet, that there are ramifications to us loving God. There are consequences, there are blessings to us loving God. He says the Lord preserves the faithful. Guys, if we'll start reading his word, we'll find little nuggets like this. This is like one-fourth of one verse. That will be like rock-solid gold to you. The Lord is a preserver. The Lord keeps. The Lord hangs on to something. The Lord preserves the faithful. Now, when we hear faithful here, you're not to be thanking those that are just so faithful, but rather you are to take into account all that we know about life that we have heard David speak about in Psalm 31 of what it really means to be the faithful. 
The faithful are not the well-behaved. The faithful are not those who have, have got good sense and they figured it out. The faithful are not those who have good parents that really put them on the right track. The faithful are those who, who understanding God's faithfulness, are now being impacted by God's work in their lives. The faithful are those who know that God is being faithful to them, and so they're responding to that. Listen to how David speaks early in the psalm. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. David is like crying out to God, God, help me, God, I need you. But he's not thinking that it's his faithfulness that keeps him close to God. He's thanking or believing or trusting or, or reaching for it's God's faithfulness that keeps me close to God. It's God's goodness that makes me want to stay close to God. It's not me being so good. And hence you have truly in God's eyes the huge difference when God looks down from heaven who really is the faithful and who is and all of those people and all those religious people and all those Baptists, if you will, and all of us that think that we are pleasing God because of us or what's in us or how good we are, God may not be seeing us as the faithful. But for every person that bows their knee and thinks, God, I need you. God, help me. God, as much as I'm up in Psalm 31, I'm also down. As much as I think I figured it out, I know I haven't figured it out. God, I need you. And for all those people who say, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling for all of those people that really sung with their heart purely Christ has regarded my helpless estate for all the hearts in the world that truly think that God loves me despite me God loves me because he loves me those people are the faithful not so much faithfulness in us but faithful because God is faithful And we get this promise here that the Lord preserves the faithful. You ever seen somebody that cans or jars fruits and vegetables and gets a whole crop and stores them up and for years they'll be pulling them out to use them? Isn't that cool? The last time my parents came up, or one of the most recent times my parents came up, my dad brought out of the trunk of the car. My parents live out of town, and my dad brought out of the trunk of the car this big old box. And he said, man, I brought this for you. I said, what is this? And I opened it up, and it's like 1988 T-ball champions. All these trophies from when I was a little kid. I said, you still have those? Like, oh, man, yeah, we held on to them. Thought you might like them one day. I don't really like them. <laughs> they're old. They're dusty. We probably didn't win the championship. They just give you a trophy anyway. But I'm, I'm 38. They've been hanging on to them for 30 years, right? They just kept them. They're still around because they were kept. Now, this happens to people. This happens to people. This happens to people who are faithful to God. This happens to people that love God. They're still around. 
They're still holding on. They're still believing the promises of God. They're still saying, Christ has regarded my helpless estate. It is well. It is well with my soul. Life's not well necessarily. I'm not well necessarily. But God being true and faithful and still loving me is rock solid. It never changes. And that makes my soul have peace. It is well. God keeps the faithful. And so David says, love him. Love him. But then he reminds us, he will abundantly repay the one who acts in pride. If you don't want to love God, you cannot stay in that position forever. God will eventually deal with you if you don't want to love God, if you want to remain in your pride, meaning your arrogance, that you don't need him or you don't need to love him, you've got enough love in and of yourself or enough love in and of your family or enough self-love, that's a really popular phrase these days. You've got enough self-love that you don't need to love anybody else. The Bible teaches clearly time and time again that God will deal with that. In James chapter 4, that great book of James that deals with faith and works and the balance and tension there. James chapter 4 verse 6, James quotes Proverbs 3.34 and he says this, God opposes the proud. If you're still walking in your pride, if you didn't like singing Christ has regarded my helpless estate, if you don't like hearing me say that you are helpless before God, if you are still in your pride, then hear this. God is not for you. God is against you. God opposes the proud. But that same verse, Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6 says, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace is available. Preservation is there for the faithful who cling to the faithful one. Grace is available. Preservation is available for those who love the Lord, for those who trust in his promises. When you hear this, this gospel call, this message that God loves you and that he sent Jesus to die for your sins and that anybody with any sins, no matter if it's a lot of sins or a little bit of sins, and everybody with their sins can be forgiven of their sins because God loves us and sent Jesus to die for us. And right when it was at its darkest, like, wow, Jesus, God's son, is dying and he's buried in the grave and all hope is lost, God busts up out of the grave and new day has come and he has risen and death's been defeated and life is here and sin's been overcome and Jesus reigns and he lives and he lives forever and he'll never stop living and he reigns forever and this Jesus is the king of everything top of the world everlasting God almighty savior and anybody that turns their life toward him that would say God I need your grace God, preserve me. Y'all, he will. He will. He loves you. He'll forgive you of your sins. And this passage says, so love him. If he loves us that much, love him. If your life goes through the up and down, the, the here or there, love him. Be reminded here today, people, this is what it's all about. Love the Lord. 
And once we start to process 1 through 23, once we start to process things like, you're my rock and my fortress, and then my eyes wasted away from grief, I spent years with sighing, my life is spent with sorrow, right? Seems like two different people here, right? It seems like David here might be a little bipolar in the sense that one way he's declaring his devotion to God, and in the other way he's full of struggle, right? That's what it sounds like here. But David actually is just like uh, us in that he's dealing with life. But he comes back here, gets the reminder, the reset, we are to love God. Those that love God, he preserves. Those that don't love God, who remain in their pride, he will abundantly repay them. And so in verse 24, he gives that awesome, awesome, awesome reminder that is found throughout all of Scripture, all the pages, beginning to the end. He says, be strong, let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Because it is one thing to say love God. It is one thing for every one of us to know love God, and it's an entirely different thing to wake up every morning and love him. It's an entirely different thing to try to love God when those in your household do not love God. It's an entirely different thing as a young woman or a young man to love God when so much around us is not centered on loving God. Out of nowhere, I had a parent stop by the house just the other day. We had to slip and slide out. It was hot as can be. The kids were playing in the front yard, and, and, and somebody pulled up in their car right, right there at the edge of the drive. Didn't even pull into the drive. We just pulled up. Wanted to talk. I had not talked to this person in so long. And within like two minutes, our conversation got to them telling me how hard life is. And all I could say was, you're right. It is so hard. And God has not told us that he's necessarily going to make it easier. But he has told us so many times in so many ways with so much proof and so much action that he loves us. And he will take care of us. And he will keep us. And the message for those that are to love him back is, hold on to that. Don't let go. Be strong. Have courage. God loves you. And let your response to God's love be loving him back. Be strong in that. It is so clear. In Deuteronomy 31.6, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. David says to his son Solomon in Chronicles, be strong and courageous, Solomon. Do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed for the Lord God. Even my God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Or perhaps you remember how God starts the book of Joshua. And how God passes the baton from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua is to be the second leader of the people of Israel. And in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 1, he says, be strong and courageous. In verse 7 of chapter 1, only be strong and very courageous. In verse 9 of chapter 1, be strong and very courageous. So in verse 18 of chapter 1. Joshua has just heard God's repetitive message, be strong, courageous. And Joshua turns now to his army, turns to them. And in verse 18, Joshua says, only be strong and courageous. This is the message from God. And what God is saying in strong and courageous is not necessarily to flex your muscles or strut your stuff, but rather to love God back who loves you that you can depend on. Our strength and our courage is not one that we're so good or not one that we're so bold or not one that we're even so faithful, but that God is. 
And we are not going to give up in the faithful, loving God. We will love him. We will be strong and bold. We will not shrink back. We are unashamed of that, that God loves us and we love him back. David concludes in Psalm 31 that if God loves me, we will love him. And this is to be our response. Oh, we love him. We love him. We love him. We love him. One commentator says to be strong in your purpose and desire, and God indeed will make you strong. Another commentator says that this command to love God carries with it the promise of help to obey it. When God says to love him, it carries with him, it carries with that the promise that he will help you love him. God loves you so much that while you are looking to love him, God will empower you to love him. The only person that is not wrapped up in God's love and loving him back is the one that remains in his pride that God says, I will start opposing that person. Who out there wants to be so dull or so sluggish in their hearing of God's love that they would say, (coughs) no, thank you, God. I want to remain the way I am. I want to remain in my pride. I want to keep going the direction that I'm going. I don't think I need your love, God. It is only the the stubborn or the the hard-hearted that don't want to hear life's about loving God. And now I want to reset my life and turn to God. I want to love Him. And the way that we do that is truly by turning. We recognize the great love of God for us and we say, God, I need to repent. God, I need to apologize. I need to confess my sins. God, would you forgive me of my sins? I know your love for me is seen very clearly through the work of Christ. Jesus dying on the cross. And God, I want to ask you if you would forgive me of my sins. God, I want to ask if you would start preserving my soul. Would you keep me loving you? God, would you keep me there? And he will. This is what this is about. He will. This is the message throughout the whole Bible. We find David gathering all of it here in Psalm 31. Just yesterday, one of my sons had to do something that he did not want to do. He had to do it, and he didn't want to do it, and it was hard. It was a challenge. It was very, very difficult. There were tears. It was difficult, but he had to do it. And once he went into it with tears and did what he needed to do, he did a great job at it. So good. We were proud of him. He did what he was supposed to do, and he did it. A couple hours later, we got home. Everything was good, and everybody was happy, I pulled him aside and I said, you did it, man. You're so good at it. I'm proud of you. You did it. I said, why were you so upset? And and why was it such a challenge? He said, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I said, son, we can't live life based off of just what we want to do and what we don't want to do. There are so many things we don't want to do. And I hope this isn't too crude. I said, you know how many diapers I've changed? I said, do you know how many little rears I've cleaned? He said, yeah, a lot. I said, I didn't really want to. But I did it. I love y'all. And I want to do what I need to be doing. Well, that's parenting. When it comes to God, he loves us, y'all. I'm sure of it. He's taking care of us. 
If you have kids, he gave those to you. If you don't believe me, go ask all the people that can't have them. If you've got health, he gave that to you. If you don't believe me, go to the hospital and watch somebody who's losing their health right now. It's from God. If you're loved right now by anybody, that's from God. If you don't believe me, I can show you some people that don't have anybody that loves them. These things are from God. He loves us. He's taking care of us. And he clearly says to us back, love him back. And if we will not love him back, we are wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 says it like this. We'll end here. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Now God is so good and so right and so pure and so true that he loves us. To, to not accept it, to not believe it, to reject it is to really be wrong. Would you today trust in Christ? Would you be reminded from Psalm 31 what David finds comfort in? Love God. Be strong and courageous. Love God. Thank God for Christ who died for us that we could love him back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for David and his honesty. We know a lot of other stuff about David, God, and he really was so, so many times awesome and faithful and so many times crying all night, so many times up and down. But he knows the heart of the matter is to love you. He knows, God, that the heart of the matter is to love you because you love us. And Father, I pray that you would work that in us. Father, thank you that just like our year and summer break allows us to reset, that the preaching of the word and your grace to us will allow us to reset. Father, I pray you would work that in us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.